This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Good morning on this Wednesday, February 22nd. You're listening to WNBF. The city of Binghamton is moving forward with its effort to gain control of the Binghamton Plaza site. Mayor Jared Cram last summer announced plans to use eminent domain to seize the plaza property on West State Street on the city's north side. He noted the owners of the six-decade-old retail complex owed hundreds of dollars in back taxes. A public hearing on the eminent domain procedure was held at Binghamton City Hall Tuesday afternoon. Mark McNamara, an attorney representing the plaza's New Jersey owners, said the overdue tax bill now has been paid. McNamara said the owners are in the final stages of negotiating with an unnamed developer on a plan to provide low-income housing and services for veterans. McNamara noted the city stands to lose sales and property tax revenues if it proceeds with plans to demolish the plaza buildings and provide recreational facilities on the site. He said city officials have not offered any specific plans for redeveloping the property. At the beginning of the hearing, Mayor Cram said despite a riverfront site at the confluence of three major interstates with major economic development incentives, owner has failed at rejuvenating the Binghamton Plaza. Cram said the residents of one of the poorest neighborhoods in our community deserve better. The mayor said the city must improve this property for the public good, expand green space, open public access to our riverwalk and waterfront, and allow for badly needed redevelopment along the West State Street corridor. People who operate businesses in the Binghamton Plaza spoke against the eminent domain proposal at the public hearing. They said the move would cause significant problems for the people who use their services. The place that was home to a Johnson City fraternal organization for more than eight decades is being demolished by Binghamton University. A building at 22 Lewis Street stood in the way of the university's plans to establish a buffer zone near its health sciences campus. Gorick construction workers expect the project to tear down the building will be completed by the end of the week. Johnson City Unity Lodge Number 970 sold the property to the Binghamton University Foundation last October for $390,000. The university has plans to develop a park between its facilities on Corliss Avenue and the Main Street Business District. Most of the existing buildings that had been on Lewis Street were acquired for demolition for the Green Space Project. After the old lodge is torn down, the only remaining structure on the street will be a three-story apartment house at 26 Lewis Street. The university has wanted to acquire that building to clear the way for the planned park, but the owner won't sell. A person familiar with the owner's position Tuesday said the owner is not interested in selling it. He said the owner loves the people who lives there and wants them to be able to remain in the building. In Broome County Court, just prior to jury selection, Alan Holmes, age 45 of Binghamton, entered a plea of guilty to felony criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree. On June 7, 2021, the Broome County Special Investigations Unit Task Force was conducting a narcotics investigation. A motor vehicle stop was conducted in the vicinity of Baldwin Street in the village of Johnson City. Holmes, who was a passenger in the vehicle, was found in possession of a quantity of fentanyl. Holmes, on parole for a 2019 narcotics conviction, will be sentenced to five years in New York State prison plus two years post-release supervision on May 17th. Holmes also waived his right to appeal. Michael A. Korchak, Broome County District Attorney, said fentanyl is a major problem, killing residents of New York State in unprecedented numbers. We call on the New York State Legislature to increase the penalties for those who sell fentanyl. 
Kevin Walker, age 32, of Elmira, New York, pled guilty to possession with intent to distribute a controlled substance. As part of his guilty plea, Walker admitted that on February 12, 2022, he drove a rental vehicle from his residence in Elmira to Cortland, New York. He intended to meet another individual in the parking lot of a Cortland business to sell that individual 447 grams of pure methamphetamine, which Walker had in the trunk of the vehicle. Walker further admitted that he also possessed 137 grams of cocaine in the vehicle. At sentencing, scheduled for June 21st, Walker faces at least 10 years and up to life in federal prison, a maximum fine of $10 million, and a term of post-imprisonment supervised release of at least five years and up to life. A jury is hearing testimony from a former high-ranking Proud Boys member who pleaded guilty to plotting with group leaders to violently stop the transfer of presidential power from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. Jeremy Bertino told jurors on Tuesday that he viewed their far-right extremist organization as the tip of the spear after the 2020 election. Bertino is testifying against former Proud Boys national leader Enrique Tarrio and four lieutenants as part of a cooperation deal with federal prosecutors. Bertino is the only group member who has pleaded guilty to a seditious conspiracy charge stemming from a mob's attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. The five defendants on trial are charged with the same offense. President Joe Biden in Poland, after his lightning trip to Ukraine, has declared that there are hard and bitter days ahead in fighting off Russia's invasion. But he pledged on Tuesday that the United States and its allies will never waver in their support as the war enters its second year. A day after his surprise trip to Kiev, Biden gave a major speech in Warsaw and met with the presidents of Poland and Moldova. His trip is aimed at solidifying Western unity as Ukraine and Russia are preparing spring offensives. The conflict has left tens of thousands of people dead, devastated Ukraine's infrastructure system, and wreaked havoc on the global economy. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency ordered Norfolk Southern on Tuesday to pay for the cleanup of East Palestine, Ohio train wreck and chemical release as federal regulators took charge of long-term recovery efforts and promised worried residents they wouldn't be forgotten. Using its authority under the federal Superfund law, EPA told Norfolk Southern to take all available measures to clean up contaminated air and water. The EPA warned Norfolk Southern that if it failed to comply with its order, the agency would perform the work itself and seek triple damages from the company. Norfolk Southern CEO promised the company would do whatever is necessary to ensure the long-term health of the community and become a safer railroad. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, snow before 5 p.m., then snow and sleet. The snow could be heavy at times. A high near 36 degrees, 100% chance of snow. Could see about 2 inches of snow and sleet on the ground in some areas today. Tonight, rain, snow, and sleet becoming all rain after 2 a.m. The snow could be heavy at times. A low near 33 degrees, 80% chance of rain. Tomorrow, a slight chance of showers before 10 a.m., then a slight chance of showers after 3 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 55 degrees, a 20% chance of rain. Tomorrow night, chance of rain showers before 4 a.m., then a slight chance of snow showers. Mostly cloudy with a low near 22 degrees. Wind gusts as high as 36 miles per hour, a 40% chance of rain. And Friday, a slight chance of snow showers before 1 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 29 degrees. Wind gusts as high as 37 miles per hour, 20% chance of snow. Friday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 13 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Joseph Live, WNBF, 607-772-1290. Who will be caller number one? 
for the coveted title of first caller du jour. If you would be interested in obtaining the honor of first caller du jour, call in now and try your luck. In a crowd in a city like Good morning, you're caller number one. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Airport Road, Bob. I had a hunch. In Maine. Tell all. Don't leave anything out. Don't leave anything out. Uh, It was interesting, um, based on the short notice that we had, uh, we probably had um, a good 20 people or more there. Fox 40 did show up. Um, They had planned to do a live uh, feed at the 6 o'clock time slot, but they had a little technical difficulty, but you can go on the uh, Fox 40 website or Facebook page, and the story is up, and there is a video. Um, Stacy Duncan was there, um, and she does say, Bob, you can call her anytime, and she'll talk to you or interview, and that was her words. Um, I talked to her after the meeting. Um, everything was negative for the IDA trying to purchase this property and setting up a corporate park. Um, the residents all spoke their pieces. Um, unfortunately, they give you three minutes, and lots of times you can't get your points made across in three minutes. But um, if you go to the website, I believe um, they also have the topographical picture of what you can, what they're trying to purchase and build there. Um, They will also have copies at the town hall in Maine because they didn't have enough for everyone last night. Um, They won't say what they want to build other than a corporate park, although they did uh, admit that it would be probably some kind of industrial semiconductors or uh, recycling something. Um, I've heard through the grapevine that they want to build something that may be a battery recycling plant. Um, I don't understand that because Endicott wanted that. Well, here's the thing. Um, Yes, the Endicott proposal didn't get anywhere. And for one one reason, I think, was the technology that Sung Jil was going to use. Another thing is, I don't think they knew the first thing about public relations, so they... I think they mishandled it. I'm not saying that the uh, facility should have been constructed. I'm just saying the people involved with that project uh, didn't know the first thing about how to properly present details of a project and, if you will, spin it. You know, I think I think that was almost doomed from the start, and certainly after people in Endicott and elsewhere organized. I think. I think it stood virtually no chance. Now, as far as having a a lithium-ion battery recycling facility somewhere, not necessarily in the town of Maine or town of Union, but somewhere, one thing we know is it's needed. 
It will be needed. But but here's but but here's one other thing, and I'll I'll let you okay. continue. The uh, reality about battery recycling is there are different technologies, and some could actually be perceived to be safer than others. So again, I'm not passing judgment on any future use of the site. I'm just saying that there a there's going to definitely be a need for recycling facilities, and the other part is there could be a technology that ultimately could potentially be compatible um so but continue is i i know that's that's not the biggest bone of contention well, here about about the use of the land well it was brought up that um yes the property is appraised at about twelve hundred dollars an acre and that the ida was willing to negotiate a deal at five thousand dollars an acre um someone in the audience did ask a very good question that they didn't really want to follow up on, but you're the reporter, and I'm going to give you this question to ask if Stacy does give you a call or wants to do an interview. Um, the, the question asked was, does anybody at the IDA agency have any kind of um, relationship with the people that want to sell the property? And the answer that I, I heard was yes. So someone at the agency has um, um, I don't know what you call it, a connection there. Um, I also heard that Mr. Bucci, who was on the agency, it was opposed to this because of the price that they were paying for the property. You know Mr. Bucci. Get Mr. Bucci on there. See if he'll make some kind of comment. Um, it's scary because the 300 acres they're buying is all in the town of Union. And it's all in the heavy residential area along East Main Road. The only parcel that they want in the town of Maine is on the town line. And it's they only want that little piece of property that's probably um, 30 acres or less to put a road in to get to the corporate park. And then they want to use Airport Road as their traffic entrance because of the um, proximity to Route 17 and all the other highways. Um, they have not taken into any consideration the ta- traffic patterns as they are now with all of the dump trucks, all of the traffic that we have. Now we have the airport doing more business, so there's more traffic. They were not aware of um, any property available near the airport. Um, I brought it to their attention as well as another person at the meeting that there's 200 acres in a commercial zone, only another mile and a half up the road that has access to Airport Road, has access to Commercial Drive, has access to West Shenango and Upper Stella Road, and it has access on Barrier Road. And it's, again, it's it's shovel-ready um, area, and it's commercial. And they have water and sewer already where this property they want to change. The zoning has no water and sewer as it is. But so, maybe the owner of that property wouldn't sell it for $5,000 an acre. Maybe oh, they, the o- oh, yeah, they want to sell oh, okay. it. In fact, the property's on uh, on the market now, part of the property. But the uh, owner of the, the major piece of property, the, the two pieces sit together. They're two different owners, but they both want to sell, especially if they were going to give them $5,000 an acre. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Keep me posted, okay, please? Yes, sir. Anybody else has information, please call in and and 
Make your opinions, please. All right. Thank you so much. It's 920 at News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. This is Bob Joseph. We'll be looking forward to hearing more of your thoughts on this Wednesday morning. 921 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. Welcome. UNBF at 924, serving America because it's the right thing to do. This just in, the flash apparently official from the Johnson City Central School District in upstate New York. Word has just been received of an early dismissal on this Wednesday, February 22, 2023. Uh, early di- dismissal in Johnson City, a.k.a. Leicestershire. UPK will dismiss at noon. High school, 1220. Middle school, 1250. Elementary school, 125. That's the latest from the WNBF early dismissal desk. It's 925. Bob Joseph live. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Yeah, good morning, Bob. It's uh, Dave from Vestal. Yeah, hang on, Dave. Yes, sir. Hang in there. Be patient. Okay. Patience is a virtue. We will continue (laughs) with Dave in just a moment. First, however... Providing you with the best solutions of your lifetime. The KSO Insurance Weekly Spotlight with Karen Sweet O'Neill on News Radio 1290 WNBF. <laughs> this is quite the surprise. Yes, this is quite the surprise. So just disregard that part of the program and continue listening to this fine selection as chosen by the WNBF Director of Music. Says of the evil. 
WNBF, it's electric. All right. Um, let's see. By the way, we we will still be taking calls. 607-772-1290. Dave, are you still there? Yes, sir. All right. Hang in there. Don't, don't worry. It's not as though anything's wrong. <laughs> I mean, the people who are watching on WNBF Plus, which you can obtain for a nominal monthly fee, they know exactly what's going on. On the other hand, the people who are simply listening at 92.1 FM or 12.90 AM are under the illusion that things are just fine. Don't worry, everything is just fine, Dave. Seriously. Okay. Um, another early dismissal. And this time, Dave, I'm afraid to report, this is uh, very serious. This one is Windsor in eastern Ooh. Broome County because the weather <laughs> the weather conditions may deteriorate. <laughs> Why am I laughing, that evil laugh? I got that idea from Howard on the, on the 12th News. <laughs> the weather is going to be bad. <laughs> tune in at 5, 6. No, five, no. tune in at 5 a.m., 5.30, 6, 6.30. 727, 827, noon. I know I've missed a few. 5, 530, 6, 10, and 11. And be sure to watch the videos because the videos videos are most important. Anyway, Windsor, uh, middle school, 1120, high school, 1130, and elementary at 1230. Okay. Dave, hang in there. Now, again, everything is fine. Don't. Don't for a second think things aren't fine because they're fine, and we will get to you momentarily. <laughs> he said unconvincingly. This is Bob Joseph. It's live radio only on WNBF. Funny does. Providing you with the best solutions of your lifetime. The KSO Insurance Weekly Spotlight with Karen Sweet O'Neill on News Radio 1290 WNBF. And we're joined now by Karen Sweet O'Neill on this Wednesday morning. Thanks for coming in. I mean, calling in. Calling in, coming in. Yeah, how's whatever. the weather? Have you uh, decided it's to, dis- to dismiss yourself early? <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, you and I have the same philosophy. We we show up for work every day. We work hard every day, and then we go home, and then we say we accomplish something, as opposed to, well, I won't say some people who sometimes don't go to work or whatever, or they go to work, and then they want to dismiss themselves early because of a little snow or sleet. Come on, man. Right? It's like, come on now. <laughs> I was talking to a client, and she was telling me, she happened to be a pharmacist. This is, this is just incredible. So anyway, she was telling me how understaffed they are in the pharmacies. And she said, you know, you just, the workers that do, that we do hire, she said, they just don't show. She said, we had one gal, and she called up for her shift and said, well, I can't, I can't find my glasses. And so the manager said, well, well, what does that mean? She said, well, I can't find my glasses. She said, well, does that mean that you're not working today? She goes, well, I don't see why I can or see how I can. And she said, are you kidding me? And, yeah, she never showed up. Oh, my god. I mean, gosh. it's just things like oh, that, you know. It's like, it's come on. Come on, it, man. Well, it's, 
it affects everybody. Well, I know. I was at a, um, and I won't tell tales out of school, but we'll just say it was a pharmacy. Oh, well, oh, uh, you know, I'm I don't want to embarrass okay. anybody. But a uh, pharmacy that begins with C. It's a pretty well-known outfit really? based in Rhode mm-hmm. Island. I won't be more specific. Mm-hmm. Wound socket. Mm-hmm. Um, gee, now, now everyone knows. But they closed their pharmacy early one day. And it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. They closed the pharmacy, I think, at 1 p.m. And I was uh, after work around 5, picking up, I don't know what it was, oh, a greeting card. Somebody I knew needed to be greeted. So I Mm -hmm. I picked up a card, and everything was going well. And it was heartbreaking because um, a couple, a husband and wife, apparently, were there. And uh, the guy needed his medicine. But... The pharmacy was closed, and no amount of explaining by the employees left at the at the store would satisfy the the people. Which I understand they they wanted, and he may have really needed his prescription to be filled. Sure. But again, you can't you can't have your pharmacy open unless you have a licensed pharmacist. You can't just say, "Oh, Bob, would you know the pharmacist." is sick or whatever or whatever we have a scheduling problem so bob would you put on your fill-in pharmacist hat and and hand out hand out the pills when people come that's not how it works i mean you need somebody who's actually licensed can you imagine what would happen if they put me in charge (laughs) yikes so anyway i mean it just goes to show that's for sure (laughs) yeah and not in a good way so it just goes to show yeah when when their worker shortages or scheduling problems a lot of people are affected so anyway um let's talk about the reason Mm -hmm. the the entire reason for this weekly segment this is time for important advice for uh for our listeners okay we're going to talk about taxes dreaded taxes because it is tax season but we're going to talk about a positive with taxes if it does affect you and that is, can you deduct your unreimbursed medical care expenses? And yes, you can. So the IRS allows all taxpayers, Bob, to deduct their total qualified unreimbursed medical care expenses. It has to, they have to exceed 7.5% of uh, their adjusted gross income, and, but that does include premiums too. So, wow, is that possible? You can also deduct qualified medical, but as I just said, but you can also deduct dental expenses. So what does that mean? That means if you have an adjusted gross income of, let's say, 50000 and your family has $10,000, God forbid, in medical or dental bills for the 2022 tax year, you can deduct any expenses over $3,750. Well, that's a pretty good deduction, but does it apply to you? Well, the thing is, is when you file for your taxes, there's what they call a standard deduction. So you can either itemize, Bob, or you can take the standard deduction. And that's a predetermined um, amount based on your filing status. So for 2022, if you are single, you're, you don't want to itemize. You just want to do the standard deduction. That would be $12,950 that you can take. Now, if you're married and you're filing jointly, again, you don't want to itemize or you don't have enough receipts 
expenses to itemize to get a higher deduction than 25900 then you might want to do the standard deduction. Now, also, um, the medical expense, if you itemize, it's just not medical expenses, of course. You can deduct, uh, you know, home mortgage interest, charitable contributions, and all of those things that make up, you know, a standard uh, or an itemized deduction. Now, what about medical expenses? I think people may not realize, but you can deduct things like acupuncture, which, of course, isn't covered under your medical insurance. You can deduct chiropractic services, contact lenses, and, again, that dental treatment for the prevention of uh, dental disease, eye exams. I mean, you can deduct all of your health, dental, and vision insurance premiums, hearing aids. Those are big expenditures. Eyeglasses. And let's not forget, you can deduct, you know, wheelchairs, travel, transportation costs, these kinds for, you know, obtaining medical care. Also, long-term care insurance and long-term care premiums. So if you're, um, you have an insurance policy and your premium is, you're age 51 to 60 and your premium is uh 1700 or lower, you can deduct 1690, 1690. Now, if you're in your upper ages, but 61 to 70, let's say, you can deduct up to $4,510 off your premium. And if you're older than that, older than the 70, 5640. So those are pretty big numbers. Let's talk about dental insurance just for a minute or dental coverage. One of the biggest complaints we hear is health. Nothing really covers that much in dental, especially, Bob, if you're on Medicare, because the reimbursements are maybe $1,000, maybe $1,500 for the year. Well, guess what? If anybody's ever had an implant out there, that's not even a quarter of what you're going to spend. So what about that three, dollars $4,000, $5,000 implant or root canal? All of that you can deduct if it you know, along with your medical expenses and the others that we just talked about, exceed 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. So how would you know that? How do you do it? Do you not want to guess? You know, if you have a pretty simple um, filing and you don't have a lot of medical or dental expenses or you can't itemize in other areas, you might want to take the standard deduction at the single 12950 or married filing jointly, which is the 25900 deduction. But if you have maybe a question like, hmm, maybe I can because I've had a pretty rough year, maybe with surgeries or dental and that kind of thing, you might want to contact an accountant, CPA, and say, hey, you know, you want to take a look at this for me. It might be worth the money. We like uh, Vieira and Associates over there. Uh, I'm a big fan of Scott Hotelin. And let me tell you, if you don't have um, a situation where you think you need, you know, a, a professional uh, CPA to look at or to complete your taxes, you can even go to um, an AARP tax preparer, and they are free. And most of them are going to be doing the simple standard deduction for you. But a lot of people say, I'm not even comfortable just doing that. I want someone to do it for me so it's done right and I either get my refund or I don't pay any more to the government than I need to. So 
as I was telling James earlier, when I called Bob, I said, well, don't call us because we don't do taxes. <laughs> That's why we have Scott. But um, we certainly refer that work out because we have a lot of um, uh, tax preparers that we work with. And if you have any questions, we certainly can forward those and give you uh, a good reference as to where to go and get uh, your taxes completed. We are into the insurance business, and uh, if you're retiring and you're looking at Medicare and saying, oh, my gosh, what do I do, you're going to call us, and we'll walk you right through it. And, of course, life insurance reviews and long-term care insurance reviews. We are at 1708 Vestal Parkway East. That's right above Plato's Closet and Style Encore and Vestal, of course. You drive right right up to us. We're one level. And you can reach us several ways for an appointment. You can call us at 607-772-4898. You can Google us at KSO Insurance, and all our contact information comes up. Or simply go to a phone book, and we have a big display ad under insurance in the yellow pages. Karen Sweet O'Neill, be careful out there because I, I may may be in a position where I have to dismiss you early. So we'll we'll see how it goes. But in the meantime, if you must go out and travel, please exercise appropriate caution. I certainly will, and thank you, Bob. <laughs> Thanks. Have a great day. You too. 942 at WNBF, the station that is impeccably, impeccably organized. It's just the host of the live talk show from 9 to noon who (coughs) may need to be re-educated. Your calls are coming up. Don't touch that dial. This is WNBF. WNBF at 947, it's The Real Deal, with Bob Joseph live now, my popular demand, Dave and Vestal. Good morning, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, sir. Hey, hey Bob, you know, I wanted to comment on, on your interview you had at the end of the day yesterday. Um, <laughs> you know, it was good. Uh, you asked all the right questions. Um, she made one seven-word statement. And that's all anyone should have heard, and to just turn and ran and make sure your kids didn't get involved. Remember her saying, "We don't, we don't believe that Satan is evil." Oh, that's all I had to hear, Bob. That's all I had to hear with those seven words, and then run, run away. Um, I can't believe she said that, really, unless she really believes it. Well, maybe she does. I mean, everyone is entitled to his or her beliefs. <laughs> we don't believe that Satan is evil. I was just kind of surprised to hear her say that. I don't know if you remember, but she did. Um, well, by the way, and some people called and or emailed and said, well, they didn't hear the whole interview, or could could we put it on the website? And we will be putting that on the website at some point. So for those who missed it or didn't catch the whole thing, we will have it on the website because that was the... June Everett, she's the campaign director for After School Satan Club. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think you get 
people who are associated with After School Satan Club on on radio very often. So I I thought it was uh, informative. I've, I felt uh, educated by speaking with her. It was, you know, no, it was a good interview. But but I, you know, I was wondering why couldn't the superintendent do something like you know. I know they have to avoid lawsuits. They have to let everybody be included, all these different groups. Why couldn't they do something like a, a minimum uh, participation? or precip- <laughs> Yeah, precipitation. I'm thinking about the snow, Bob. Participation. Um, if you only have a certain amount, the show can't go on. You have to have a Well, I think he said if, if nobody signs yeah. up their kids for after-school Satan Club at Homer Brink Elementary School starting in March, they probably won't have much of a club. But just, if you had that rule for all the clubs, you have to have at least – that way it would kind of like shoo them away because you – Well, where, so where do, you, where do you set the cutoff? 10, well, 20, 100? Yeah. Well, that's something they'd have to think about, but that'd be one way of stopping them from using the school. Well, I think Jason Van Fossen, when he was on the program last Friday, he's the main Endwell superintendent, I think he made clear that the school district, the Board of Education, is very concerned about the potential for litigation. And litigation, uh-huh. let's face it, school districts, every entity, uh, do their best to avoid litigation because it's time consuming and also very expensive. So even if even if there was uh, just a threat of litigation and it required additional billable hours by attorneys from Maine Endwell School District, taxpayers are still going to foot the bill. So for people who live in the Maine Endwell School District, say if the district incurred $500 or $2,000 worth of legal expenses uh, for issues related to after-school clubs, question starts to become, oh, well, um, um, how much will the tax rate go up? Or if they want to keep within the acceptable uh, limits, I believe still imposed by the state, what programs will we uh, shrink or adjust? Or how many teachers will we lay off to... uh, you know, cover those legal costs. Uh, it, to me, for school districts, it seems like it's a no-win situation. Right, it is, and it's a shame. But you know, um, like he says, just don't register any kids. That's all. Well, indeed. Know. I mean, and I'm sure, and I can't remember if we covered this specifically with June Everett, but it certainly, if it wasn't said explicitly, it certainly was implicit. Nobody, nobody is being forced to go to after-school Satan Club. Not a single student in the history of after-school Satan Club has been required to go there without his or her parent's permission and without or guardian, without his or her parent or guardian turning in the permission slip. Uh, there's going to be a couple. There's, going to, there's not going to be zero, Bob. What do you mean? Well, tell me how... Tell me how you figure. You're you're telling me that school districts are going to allow their elementary school students to forge permission slips so they can get into after-school Satan Club? No. What I'm saying is probably a couple of parents out there that think this is a wonderful idea, and they're going to let or encourage their child to do it. Hey, it's, we, we believe in parental rights. I'm not saying if I had a child at Homer Brink that I would sign the permission slip, although I think I said a few days ago uh, 
and I'm not sure if I said it on the air or talking to someone just generally about it, if I had a kid at Homer Brink, I might, might sign a permission slip to go with my kid to the first meeting to see what the heck's going on. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, I'm, I mean, because I'm curious. I'm I have insatiable curiosity. I always want to know more. And that's why I asked during the interview yesterday, is it open to the public? Is it open to the media? And the answer is, no, it's not. No, Bob, you snooping, nosy reporter, you're not coming in. I mean, if I could do the paperwork fast, I would adopt a kid who uh, attends Homer Brink and, and get the adoption paper finalized in time for the first meeting of the After School Satan Club, specifically so I could sign my ad- newly adopted child up for the first meeting, so then I would be allowed to go in and see what's going on. <laughs> they show you out. You come in with cameras, equipment. You- well, no, they already said you can't record. But even if oh, you can't okay. record, I mean, that was a stipulation. But still, even without being able to record, and I also understand her point about the privacy. Say if you had eight students at After School Satan Club and then, you know, a couple of dozen other hangers-on and then reporters doing live shots and being arrested by the Ohio National Guard, it creates a, a big distracting situation. So, you know, I understand that point. But still, as a reporter, I wish... I know it's not going to happen because, well, I think she made crystal clear when I asked. She's not going to let a reporter in even if I agree not to record, which I would. You know, if and if it would make people happy, I would just go as an observer. I wouldn't even go in with a notebook, and I wouldn't record. I wouldn't do any audio or video recording if they didn't want me to. But I would just like to observe to get a sense of the first meeting of After School Satan Club. But I don't think that's, I don't believe that's an option. How about, Bob, how about, how about this angle? How about, as a parent, you teach your child to sneak and they can record while they're but in But that's there. not right. Sur- I, I, don't, I don't believe in surreptitious <laughs> recording. Even if you could I say, know, I know, I know. even if you said, well, in New York State, it's legal. If one party knows, it's legal. Right. That's not the point. The, the point right. really would be to be above board, and I would be yep. above board. Whoever, and this is my, this is my invitation, and it's a serious invitation. Anybody affiliated with the Homer Brink After School Satan Club, get in touch with me if there's a way I can make an arrangement that you would agree for me to come in just as an observer and not be, you know asking kids questions or asking the teachers questions just to observe like a fly on the wall with no recorder, no camera, no notebook, but just to see what goes on. But that's, you know, if it, if it happens, you'll hear about it right here on News Radio WNBF. And that's something to look forward to. Okay? That's right. All right, stay tuned. WNBF reporting on the reality of After School Satan Club. It's not what you might think. Click. WNBF.com, my favorite website. Click. More coming up on WNBF and WNBF.com. Click. WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Wednesday, February 22nd. You're listening to WMBF. 
The city of Binghamton is moving forward with its effort to gain control of the Binghamton Plaza site. Mayor Jared Cram last summer announced plans to use eminent domain to seize the plaza property on West State Street on the city's north side. He noted the owners of the six-decade-old retail complex owed hundreds of dollars in back taxes. A public hearing on the eminent domain procedure was held at Binghamton City Hall Tuesday afternoon. Mark McNamara, an attorney representing the plaza's New Jersey owners, said the overdue tax bill now has been paid. McNamara said the owners are in the final stages of negotiating with an unnamed developer on a plan to provide low-income housing and services for veterans. McNamara noted the city stands to lose sales and property tax revenues if it proceeds with plans to demolish the plaza buildings and provide recreational facilities on the site. He said city officials have not offered any specific plans for redeveloping the property. At the beginning of the hearing, Mayor Cram said despite a riverfront site at the confluence of three major interstates with major economic development incentives, owner has failed at rejuvenating the Binghamton Plaza. Cram said the residents of one of the poorest neighborhoods in our community deserve better. The mayor said the city must improve this property for the public good, expand green space, open public access to our riverwalk and waterfront, and allow for badly needed redevelopment along the West State Street corridor. People who operate businesses in the Binghamton Plaza spoke against the eminent domain proposal at the public hearing. They said the move would cause significant problems for the people who use their services. The place that was home to a Johnson City fraternal organization for more than eight decades is being demolished by Binghamton University. A building at 22 Lewis Street stood in the way of the university's plans to establish a buffer zone near its health sciences campus. Gorick construction workers expect the project to tear down the building will be completed by the end of the week. Johnson City Unity Lodge Number 970 sold the property to the Binghamton University Foundation last October for $390,000. The university has plans to develop a park between its facilities on Corliss Avenue and the Main Street Business District. Most of the existing buildings that had been on Lewis Street were acquired for demolition for the Green Space Project. After the old lodge is torn down, the only remaining structure on the street will be a three-story apartment house at 26 Lewis Street. The university has wanted to acquire that building to clear the way for the planned park, but the owner won't sell. A person familiar with the owner's position Tuesday said the owner is not interested in selling it. He said the owner loves the people who lives there and wants them to be able to remain in the building. In Broome County Court, just prior to jury selection, Alan Holmes, age 45 of Binghamton, entered a plea of guilty to felony criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree. On June 7, 2021, the Broome County Special Investigations Unit Task Force was conducting a narcotics investigation. A motor vehicle stop was conducted in the vicinity of Baldwin Street in the village of Johnson City. Holmes, who was a passenger in the vehicle, was found in possession of a quantity of fentanyl. Holmes, on parole for a 2019 narcotics conviction, will be sentenced to five years in New York State prison plus two years post-release supervision on May 17th. Holmes also waived his right to appeal. Michael A. Korchak, Broome County District Attorney, said fentanyl is a major problem, killing residents of New York State in unprecedented numbers. We call on the New York State Legislature to increase the penalties for those who sell fentanyl. Kevin Walker, age 32 of Elmira, New York, pled guilty to possession with intent to distribute a controlled substance. As part of his guilty plea, Walker admitted that on February 12, 2022, he drove a rental vehicle from his residence in Elmira to Cortland, New York. He intended to meet another individual in the parking lot of a Cortland business to sell that individual 447 grams of pure methamphetamine, which Walker had in the trunk of the vehicle. 
Walker further admitted that he also possessed 137 grams of cocaine in the vehicle. At sentencing, scheduled for June 21st, Walker faces at least 10 years and up to life in federal prison, a maximum fine of $10 million, and a term of post-imprisonment supervised release of at least five years and up to life. A jury is hearing testimony from a former high-ranking Proud Boys member who pleaded guilty to plotting with group leaders to violently stop the transfer of presidential power from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. Jeremy Bertino told jurors on Tuesday that he viewed their far-right extremist organization as the tip of the spear after the 2020 election. Bertino is testifying against former Proud Boys national leader Enrique Tarrio and four lieutenants as part of a cooperation deal with federal prosecutors. Bertino is the only group member who has pleaded guilty to a seditious conspiracy charge stemming from a mob's attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. The five defendants on trial are charged with the same offense. President Joe Biden in Poland, after his lightning trip to Ukraine, has declared that there are hard and bitter days ahead in fighting off Russia's invasion, but he pledged on Tuesday that the United States and its allies will never waver in their support as the war enters its second year. A day after his surprise trip to Kiev, Biden gave a major speech in Warsaw and met with the presidents of Poland and Moldova. His trip is aimed at solidifying Western unity as Ukraine and Russia are preparing spring offensives. The conflict has left tens of thousands of people dead, devastated Ukraine's infrastructure system, and wreaked havoc on the global economy. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency ordered Norfolk Southern on Tuesday to pay for the cleanup of East Palestine, Ohio train wrecks and chemical release as federal regulators took charge of long-term recovery efforts and promised worried residents they wouldn't be forgotten. Using its authority under the federal Superfund law, EPA told Norfolk Southern to take all available measures to clean up contaminated air and water. The EPA warned Norfolk Southern that if it failed to comply with its order, the agency would perform the work itself and seek triple damages from the company. Norfolk Southern CEO promised the company would do whatever is necessary to ensure the long-term health of the community and become a safer railroad. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, snow before 5 p.m., then snow and sleet. The snow could be heavy at times, a high near 36 degrees, 100% chance of snow. Could see about 2 inches of snow and sleet on the ground in some areas today. Tonight, rain, snow, and sleet becoming all rain after 2 a.m. The snow could be heavy at times, a low near 33 degrees, 80% chance of rain. Tomorrow, a slight chance of showers before 10 a.m., then a slight chance of showers after 3 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 55 degrees, a 20% chance of rain. Tomorrow night, chance of rain showers before 4 a.m., then a slight chance of snow showers. Mostly cloudy with a low near 22 degrees. Wind gusts as high as 36 miles per hour, a 40% chance of rain. And Friday, a slight chance of snow showers before 1 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 29 degrees. Wind gusts as high as 37 miles per hour, 20% chance of snow. Friday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 13 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. WNBF Live on a Wednesday morning. This is Bob Joseph. You can call us if you'd like. Our number is 607-772-1290. What's on your mind on this Wednesday morning? Let's talk about it on WNBF. Cause you're a sky, cause you're a sky full of stars. I'm gonna give you my heart. Sky, 
Coming up this hour, we'll talk with Evan Drellick. He is the reporter who broke the Houston Astros cheating scandal. You remember that. Well, now he has written a book about the Astros, a team that, well, we'll let Evan Drellick tell you about the Astros team. It's more than just an organization that had a cheating scandal. There's much, much more. And his book, Winning Fixes Everything, goes into detail. The book is just published, Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. Evan Drellick, who actually got his start in journalism here in Binghamton, he uh, attended Binghamton University. I believe he graduated in 2009. He was editor-in-chief of Pipe Dream at Binghamton University, then worked for a time at the Press and Sun Bulletin covering sports and some general reporting, too. So we'll talk with Evan Drellick soon, in a few minutes, right here on WNBF. Winning fixes everything. Why do they cheat? Why do they cheat? Apparently, they like money. Let's go to the phones and say good morning to Beverly in the town of Dickinson. Hello. Hi. I was listening to the Sean Hannity show yesterday. I kind of like him. Uh, Who was that lady? Uh, that that was talking with him. Oh, I don't know. I I was out. Yeah, I was out at City Hall uh, covering a a public hearing, so I I was unable to listen to Hannity's program. Yeah, well, the woman was speaking about Biden going over there to Khabib, and and. Uh, and uh, they were saying, she was saying, oh, what's he, what is the president of Ukraine? What are they doing with the money? Well, probably buying weapons from U.S. weapon suppliers. I mean, there's a lot of uh, economic incentive, probably, for the United States to provide military equipment for Ukraine, I assume, a lot. Of yeah, the military yeah, equipment is being saying that, yeah. That I mean, he doesn't think that, she, that he's taking care of his people. Well, he is. If it means more jobs for Americans, if more Americans working for defense contractors, including those in Broome and Tioga counties, if they can have gainful employment, maybe make some overtime while they're helping to provide more weapons of destruction to uh, Ukraine, I would say that's uh, economically that would be a win. Well, I was just one, just wondering how to interpret that. Yeah, I think that's how to interpret it. By the way, my guess is that the woman who was on Hannity's program yesterday was not a fan of Biden to begin with. Probably not. Yeah, that's, I think that's pretty safe to say. Uh, the good thing on this program, Beverly, is we'll put people on with all different views. The thing with Hannity's program, for the most part, he puts on people with a certain viewpoint that supports his worldview. Well, I was just wondering how to interpret that because she 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 was happen uh, happen angry. Well, even without knowing who it was, I have a pretty good idea because I've I've heard 
one of his guests who's exactly like that. And to be honest with you, if it's the person I'm thinking of, I don't enjoy her as a guest because she comes on steamed about whatever, whatever the topic of the day is. And, I mean, maybe Hannity's producers think that's good radio. I, I find it kind of tiring because it seems to be pretty much the same thing over and over again. The topic might change, but her overall approach and just uh, general palpable anger about whoever the Democrat is in charge, I mean, it, it seems so, I don't know, predictable. I like the person that comes on at noon. Yeah, well, he's infinitely more tolerable. Plus, he used to work for the Secret Service, so he knows the secrets. Yeah. See, that's the good thing about Dan Bongino, who will be on in less than two hours. The thing I can tell you about Bongino, he knows more secrets than you or I will ever know. Well, I thank you for your. I thank you for your time. I was just wondering who she was. Yeah. Well, me too. But maybe I'll call up Hannity's producer and ask. And then ask when she'll be on again so I can make sure I have plenty of tape in my home VCR. It's 1017. This is Bob Joseph, live and local on News Radio, WNBF, 1290 AM, 92.1 FM, and always available on the free WNBF app. One of the. WNBF 1023. This is Bob Joseph. We are pleased to welcome to the program journalist Evan Drellick, who has written a book called Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. And Evan Drellick joins us now from Queens. Good morning. How are you? Uh, Thanks for having me. And we will talk about your uh, compelling book in just a moment. But first, for people who uh, may be interested here, our listeners in Binghamton and in this region, you do have a Binghamton connection. You went to Binghamton University. You were the editor-in-chief at Pipe Dream, the student-run newspaper on campus in Vastel. And then you also started some of your reporting some general reporting and primarily sports reporting at the Press and Sun Bulletin. Yeah, I mean, Binghamton, as, as is the case for many uh, people in their college years, but, but the time I spent in Binghamton in the area was, was, was really formative. Um, my first you know, professional reporting job was, oh, I think making 847 or 842 an hour uh, as an agate clerk at the Press and Sun Bulletin in 2007. And there was a, you know, I grew up in New York City, and there was a summer where I was covering the Binghamton Mets, not for the Press and Sun, but for a, for a, a, a Mets magazine, you know, different publication. But I didn't know how to drive because I was, 
I grew up in New York City, right? So you, you take the subway and the buses everywhere. Uh, and so I was biking between the Binghamton Met Stadium downtown and uh, my house on the west side and then the, uh, the newspaper office, uh, which at the time was still right across the street from uh, campus in, in Vestal, you know, the old Preston Sun building there. So, yeah, I, I, I had great editors at the Preston Sun. Um, the late Alviera and, and the late Charlie Jaworski were, were important people to me. And, um, I, you know, I, I could talk for a long time about Binghamton and, and uh, uh, you know, how it kind of influenced me. Well, I could also um, acknowledge the reason why you're on is because uh, Jeff Platsky, who retired from the Press and Sun Bulletin not very long ago, uh, let me know about the book. Yeah. He gave me the heads up, and so I got in touch with you. So thanks to Mr. Platsky, that's why we're having this conversation. Yes, and, and uh, hello, Jeff. I hope you're listening. And, you know, I, I will say, um, Maybe we would get to this, but but there is a an element of of my time in Binghamton that um, very much influences the reporting of this book. But it, but I can I can wait to explain that. Maybe if you want to first set it up a little bit. But um, there is a Binghamton element here. And we will get to that in a moment. One other uh, sort of personal note, WNBF's Roger Neal is probably listening right now, too. He's in Burlington for tonight's Bearcats game uh, in Vermont. And... Uh, he wanted me, when I spoke with him a few minutes ago, to tell you hi. And I, I know you definitely have some fond memories of, of Roger Neal back in the day uh, when you covered uh, Bearcats basketball, both the men's and women's teams, and also the B-Mets baseball. Yeah, Roger's great. I saw him everywhere. And, um, you know, Burlington, I, I have not followed Binghamton basketball very closely in recent years, but certainly in my time there. UVM was 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 always a team that could not be beaten. And so if, if Rogers up there, uh, I just hope he brings some good luck to the Bearcats. They they could use some, particularly against the Catamounts. Yeah, in fact, we'll be talking to Roger Neal in about an hour, and he'll give us a, a preview of tonight's game. As far as uh, just a little bit more about you personally, so you grew up in the city. Where where in New York City did you grow up? Yeah, I split time between Manhattan and Queens, divorced parents, so you know, a little bit of shuttling back and forth. Um, I briefly lived in Long Island when I, when I was young, but um, I was a city kid. So uh, my, my high school was in Manhattan, and, um, you know, I, Binghamton was the first school I had toured uh, when, I, when I looked at colleges. And for a time, I thought I was going to go to Syracuse, uh, and I'm glad I didn't, frankly. Uh, it, it, was, it was absolutely the right decision to go to Binghamton. But, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a city kid. And as a city kid, did you go to games? Did you go to Mets or Yankees games at all? I was a huge Mets fan. I mean, really, my, you know, if you really want to trace it back, why am I here now? It's because uh, the only thing I really was passionate about growing up was was the Mets. And I, I started blogging about it, and my father convinced me as one of the freshmen at Binghamton to walk into the student newspaper office, and I, I walked into uh, the pipe dream office and, and I basically said, Hey, I'd like to write about the Mets. And, and there was a guy named Sean Lashansky who was a sports editor at the time. I said, well, you, you, you could write about men's lacrosse or, 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 you know, women's soccer or whatever. Uh, and I, you know, thankfully said, okay, I'll do that. And, and then, you know, eventually you do get to write about a major league baseball if that's what you want to do. But, um, that was the progression. 
and one thing led to another. And again, you started in uh, 2007 while you were still attending BU, um, working for the Press and Sun Bulletin, and and certainly. I think that's important. Fortunately, you were working at the Press and Sun Bulletin then as opposed to today because so much has transpired where, uh, sadly, not just our paper, but so many papers in, in towns the size of Binghamton and even bigger no longer do day-to-day sports coverage. They don't cover the Binghamton baseball games or the BU basketball games. It's, uh, it's a totally different world than what existed just a few years ago. Yeah, I you know... Um, with time, you, 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 your eyes get open wider. And I, you know, I, I really wanted to become a beat writer. I really, really wanted to cover a team, you know, work for maybe one of the big New York papers. At the time, the Daily News in New York was still big, or the Post, or Newsday, or even the Times. And, um, you know, I, I think I had my head down a bit as to, what the realities of the industry would be. And I'm, I'm much more aware of it now and I kind of see the impact and the sacrifices you make to, to go into reporting in general. It, it really is a rough industry. Um, I'm not saying I would do it differently, but, uh, you know, I was so fixed on this idea of getting to that position. I didn't look around and go, well, gee, do you want to run headfirst into a crumbling industry where job security is um, scant? You know, I mean, it, it's, Something I've had to reckon with now later in life. We're speaking with Evan Drellick, who is now a senior writer at The Athletic, a great uh, online publication, and I'm certainly glad that exists to pick up, uh, take up some of the slack that currently exists in daily sports journalism in this country. You must have been quite pleased when you wound up being able to uh, start reporting initially for the Red Sox and then uh, a short time later for the Houston Astros and, and becoming a, a regular beat reporter, sort of uh, attaining a dream at a, a fairly young age. Yeah, you know, there are a few big breaks. I, I, when I was still at Binghamton, I was a Newsday intern, the Long Island paper, and then um, I believe I moved directly or, or, or close to directly. I might have stopped back home in the city for a few days, but uh, from from Binghamton to Los Angeles, I was an MLB.com intern in 2010, and, and that kind of uh, that ended up really being the springboard because they hired me afterward. And a few years later, I um, I take over the Red Sox beat uh, for an outlet called MassLive.com, and then that was just one season. And then I moved to Houston, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and ten years later, I have a book about it. Well, and that's the thing: the fact that you did some copious reporting. I mean, it ends. And all that work that you began nearly a decade ago as a beat writer for the Astros, fact is, you didn't just toss aside all your notes and all the stuff that you assembled. You kept it. And, of course, at that time, little did you know that it was going to come in handy for the, the project that you've been involved in for the past three years, putting together a book that doesn't just focus on the cheating scandal, but also a very intriguing culture in the Astros organization. Yeah, I, I was smart to hold on to the note. Um, you know, when I was in Houston, I got there in November of 2013. It, it, it was a, they were already somewhat in the spotlight. They were really kind of, um, they were an experiment and people knew they were an experiment. Uh, but when I got there very quickly, it was apparent that there were, there were cultural questions that people were just generally unhappy with, 
what the Astros were doing. Uh, there was a buy-in problem, and I reported on that in 2014. Um, and it was the kind of story that you know cost me with upper management, but it, it breeds trust with other people. Uh, and because it was it was a fair story and it was a relevant story, it was real. It was not presenting criticisms for the sake of doing so. It was because there were real underlying issues going on. Um, and in a way, those only become more extreme over time. And you know, eventually, you have this implosion in Houston where uh, you know everybody's fired. Uh, you know, the general manager's fired, the manager is fired, and, and there's a, and there's a change in the wake of the the sign stealing scandal. But yeah, the, the, the seeds of the book uh, that's that's now out uh, really do begin ten years ago. And the reality is. The people, the top people in the Astros organization, to put it bluntly, were extremely displeased with you. I mean, they went so far as to try to get you fired. They wanted you off the Astros beat. Yes. Yeah. I mean, look, this, you know, this happens. Uh, you don't always hear about it, but it, it, it's not that uncommon. I think even more so now these days, um, as people get more and more aggressive toward reporters. Uh whether you're in sports or business reporting or, or news reporting, it uh, doesn't really matter. You know, if you are printing and reporting and trying to dig around on things that people don't want you to print, um, some people will go after you. It, it, it is just a fact of life. And sometimes you'll hear about it. Sometimes you won't. Um, you know, I am of the opinion that the best reporting is, uh, is indeed not publishing press releases. It is, uh, you know, when you are asking hard questions and challenging authority and, you know, rightfully, right? Not, not just for the sake of being a contrarian, but because uh, there, there are real things to dig on and pull on here. And, you know, it, there's a lot of power that can be vested in, a, in an organization uh, if they do try to get a reporter fired, right? Because, what, you know, I still see it on Twitter. Well, the Astros tried to get you fired, so you're out to get them. Uh, well, what if it's the case that I did nothing wrong uh, to prompt them to try to get me fired? What if they were just trying to, um, you know, protect themselves and, and make me disappear? Um, but, you know, people go, well, they tried to, so you must have done something wrong. No, right? Like, you could just be a good reporter and somebody could try to get you fired. And, um, you know, and then and, and, and there's a lot of power that, that kind of comes with, uh, with, with making a move like that, right? But I, I hope people see through that. Just because a, uh, an organization doesn't like someone's reporting or gets mad at somebody's reporting does not in itself mean that that reporter did at anything wrong at all. In fact, they might be doing something better than most other reporters. Yeah, well, that's my view, and I, I never run out of questions, even questions that people don't like to answer. And unfortunately, what, what it means with a live talk show is some people who used to appear with enthusiasm now don't show up at all because they don't like answering the tough questions. They, they would prefer to have all the questions be softballs and everything fuzzy and warm when sometimes you have to go into areas that need to be explored not necessarily to embarrass anyone, but just uh, in the en- interest of, of true transparency, which is a word that's overused by uh, corporate and elected officials, but really to shine a light into some corners that are, are otherwise kept dark and people need to know about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what the role of the press should be. You know, uh, certainly 
baseball front offices are not the most important uh, topic in the world, but you know, it does become a microcosm of what's going on in corporate America in general and and society overall. And you know, we're talking earlier about the the diminishment of papers like the Press, Press and Sun. Um, You know, I I learned so much there from really veteran people who, who who had had been through it and you know knew how to news gather and you know what one of the it's not just that things aren't being covered it's that, that people you know the, the chain of of education of teaching reporters gets diminished when um these places fold or or have all these cuts because the experience and the wisdom is gone you know and 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 actually in a weird way you can see that inside of uh, my book with the Astros, where the old guard is just kind of considered, uh, uh, you know, too expensive and, and um, not up to speed. Well, you, you lose a lot of wisdom along the way when you do that. Evan Drellick is our guest. Who uh, He's just written a, a book called Winning Fixes Everything, a focus uh, on the Houston Astros organization and uh, with a lot of additional information about how uh, the original story about the big cheating scandal was broken. Give us uh, briefly uh, a, a little overview of, of how that story, I mean, it took a long time to develop before you finally could could uh, tell the details and get a key person on the record. It's a complicated story that you go into in the book, but give our listeners sort of uh, a condensed version of how that, uh, how that came to pass. Yeah, so I'd left Houston when I first found out about this. So I, I was, I'd gone to Boston. I, I, I'd lived in Boston before, moved back to Boston after Houston. And um, it's the 2018 playoffs. The Astros and the Red Sox are playing each other, Boston and Houston teams. And uh, I was in a hotel not far from Houston Stadium. Uh, and I talked to people who, who had lived what the Astros had done. And, and I, I, you know, I, was, I learned the whole thing. Um, the whole scheme. And I was floored. You don't normally find out that a World Series winning team had cheated. You know, championship major professional sports team had cheated in that season and in that postseason. Um, and so I knew it was big. And, and you know, it was, it was stunning, but it was also, your, as a reporter, your mind starts going to, how the heck do I get this story done? You know, and I knew I wanted more corroboration. In the end, if I had printed what I had right away, it would have all been right. But it was something... Of this nature, you've, you've got to, you, you want as much as possible. Uh, and there were a couple wrinkles. Um, I was working for a regional sports network, right? A, a television station that broadcasts the sports team's games. Those are not places that do big investigations. They don't have the backbone for it. They're really content partners of teams. Um, and I didn't expect it, but they fired me uh, a few months later. So February of 2019. So I, I'm, I'm literally unemployed and I'm, and I have this, story in my notebook, you know, and um, you start to wonder, well, who the hell is going to believe me? Uh, I had a little part-time radio work and eventually the athletic, which is now owned by the New York times, they bring me on. And uh, this is where I pair up with Ken Rosenthal, who's really the best baseball reporter around. And you know, 13 months after I first learned about this, we, we get the story done. Um, but, you know, to, to, to be, Fired, and then inside that same year, break wherever you want to rank it. One of the biggest baseball stories in recent memory. It was a wild ride, and um, I, I'm really, uh, I'm just glad it got out. I mean, I got it done because uh, it was it was hard, you know, knowing 
what I had and knowing it wasn't out there. I know there have been a, a number of analogies as as you talk about the book as, as far as, uh, well, cheating, speeding, whatever. Everybody does it to a, an extent. Let's face it, on, on Route 17 or Interstate 86, driving through Broome and Tioga counties, probably uh, 90% of the people are speeding. Some are going 70, some are 90. But then you get, say, Judge Janine Pirro, who's clocked at 119, going through Tioga County on a Sunday afternoon. Well, her case might be viewed as different, but then, say, the, the trooper then stops me for going speeding at 74 miles an hour. I say, well, that's not so bad. You wrote her a ticket for 119. I mean, there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, people who try to compare the seriousness of things, whether you break a law or break the rules of baseball. Yeah, and, and it's imperfect. Um, you know, one of the complications of this whole saga is that, A, there's some culpability for baseball's law enforcement, which is the commissioner's office. That they, they, they fostered an environment where this could grow. They were kind of blind to what they were doing. They gave teams video replay rooms and didn't consider, well, might these teams use these video replay rooms to get an advantage? Of course they would. They're hyper-competitive professional athletes. What, what do you think they're going to do? Um, and then, you know, there's kind of a lesser form of speeding that develops, uh, you know, where, where people are using their video room to decode the catcher's signs, and they're giving that information to, to the base runner. And so when the base runner, you know, he's on second base, now he has an advantage. The Astros, in the minds of most, were speeding much further than, uh, much faster than anybody else. It, it, you know, they weren't doing nice. They were doing the 120, um, where you didn't need the runner on base. This was entirely off the field. They had a camera in center field uh, that fed to a monitor right behind the dugout, and they could communicate to their hitter what was coming on you know any pitch as long as they had effectively decoded it. And most people regard that as severe or, or considerably more severe than this other kind of, you know, the 90 and a 65 version or, or the 80 and a 65 version. What were some of the other issues with the Astros culture that you uh, detail in the book? Yeah, there, there's a lot. Um, you know, the, the Astros were run by a general manager, Jeff Luno, who came from the outside world, came from McKinsey and Company. And, you know, they, they when, he, when he takes over, he has a conversation with the owner, Jim Crane. And Luno asked Crane, well, what are my constraints? And Crane famously passes him a blank sheet of paper and suggests do it as you think it should be done. Make this the idealized version of the construction of the baseball team. And in the end, what, what kind of does the Astros in is not so much what they do focus on. They, they were very smart in how they innovated. They were smart about constructing baseball rosters and how they evaluated players. Um, they did not take care of their people well. The whole operation was really focused on cost-saving and cost-efficiency, not giving people titles, constantly squeezing an extra 10 to 20% out of people. Um, communication was poor. That top executive, Luna, was, was not a good communicator, although he could be per- perfectly charming and personable in an interview, terrible about responding to emails. Um, and there was a lot of contentiousness inside the organization, and Luno goes to the step of in this you know famous 2017 season where the Astros are cheating, and they also have a very good baseball team anyway. 
He brings in McKinsey and Company not to evaluate um, ticket sales or hot dogs or typical business functions, but he brings them in to evaluate literally the baseball operation. They have McKinsey and Company sit down with the manager, A.J. Hinch, uh, to, to evaluate his in-game move. You know, and, and the distrust that this fosters, uh, the unhappiness, you know, it's, it's not an accident. It's not, an, a, it's not just happenstance. Not only the cheating scandal envelops the Astros, but you also had a famous incident where an assistant general manager was fired right before the World Series because he had a drunken outburst in the clubhouse yelling at reporters. Um, you know, the, the culture was ripe for something to go really, really wrong. Well, you are busy now uh, with the publishing of this book, Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. So it's probably premature for this question, but looking forward, do you have any plans for other projects, other sports-related books in the coming years? You know, I, I think I imagine someday I'll do another book. This, this was a very difficult book to get through. It took three years. It's really... Uh, you know, sports investigative reporting, and um, I, I I joke with people. Uh, it's not totally true, but I, I'm so I'm 35, and uh, everybody more or less around me uh, in this age bracket is either married, has a kid, or has a house, or some combination thereof. Well, I have a book, right? And so I I'm a little ready to focus on. Um, you know, I want to keep doing good work for the athletic, and uh, there's always issues to cover in baseball, but I, I don't have plans for another book right now. But l- let me tell you very briefly how Binghamton plays into this book, though. If, uh, I, I don't want to get away from that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, you know, I think everybody in town would remember the Binghamton basketball scandal. Uh, and I was a student during this, and I was uh, at the Press and Sun. It was a pipe dream, and, you know, so I'm following all this. I, I, and I did some reporting on it, really more for the press and sun than I did for pipe dream. Um, but one of the things that bugged me, you know, I wasn't this rah-rah Binghamton basketball guy. Like, sure, did I go to games and, you know, hope the team did well? Yeah, you know, like any student. But um, you know, college sports were never really my thing. The reporting on it at the time, uh, which the New York Times led and, and, you know, did uncover something very real there. Uh, it really lacked context. Uh, I, I remember reading it, and a few years later, well before my reporting on the Astros, I, I, I even did a Facebook post kind of expressing my annoyance at it because it didn't explain any of the environment that allowed the cheating to arise, right? There was no look at the systemic nature of this in college sports in general, right? It was Binghamton basketball team did bad things. Shame on you. Here's what they did. Uh, and so it, it was. It wasn't that those parts weren't true. It was that it did not explain everything else going on around it, and it just bugged me. And so, you know, lo and behold, years later, I am now uncovering a major baseball scandal. Right? I mean, something larger than the Binghamton basketball scandal, relatively speaking. And you know, I, I made. I tried as hard as possible, both in the original story with Ken Rosenthal and um, in the book to make sure that you do address the context. Because the clean and easy story is the Astros cheated and they're terrible. The real story is the Astros cheated, they were smart in some ways, they did a lot of ugly things in other ways, and the league bears some of the responsibility for cheating, but the Astros still cheated at the end of the day, right? There's a much more complete picture to be told. And that always stuck with me, right? The coverage I, I witnessed 
uh, when I was at Binghamton, um, you know, it, it, it lacked something. And, and I wanted to try as hard as I could to make sure my reporting on the Astros, you know, covered those bases at least as well as I could. And the point about the Binghamton basketball scandal, and even more than a decade later, we look back on it and just shake our heads saying, gee, why did that happen? How could it have happened? Except many of us who are familiar with the details uh, know exactly what the conditions were that unfortunately allowed a series of things to happen that that still represents uh, a point of embarrassment for the university, even if people are are starting to forget some of the details with time. But the fact is, almost every important story, whether it's sports or general news, it's complicated and it can't be summed up in in 250 or 300 words. There are a lot of uh, underlying issues for any major story, including any major scandal. Yes, and and you know, it's not. I don't say this to to deflect. Uh, responsibility away from from either the Astros or uh, Binghamton University's athletics department, right? Um, but it, you know, it, it, it rather than deflecting, it's saying yes. There's bulk of responsibility goes there, but there are other factors to consider as well if you're telling a complete story, right? So it's not about uh, absolving or, or absolution. It's um, uh, just making sure you you've got the whole context as best you can. Evan Drellick, the author of Winning Fixes Everything, published by HarperCollins. Evan, a pleasure. I hope we have a chance to speak in the future. Thanks, Greg. I enjoyed it. Uh, Stay in touch. Take care. It's 1050. This is Bob Joseph, live on News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. Changes everything. Well, money changes everything too. Enough money, you could probably get away with virtually anything these days. Weather, uh, not bad at the moment, but I'm sure it'll get bad soon, soon enough. A uh, winter weather advisory will go into effect in a few minutes and be in effect till 10 o'clock tonight. We'll have snow and sleet. Snow could be heavy at times, high 36. Snow accumulation, along with some sleet, two inches today. Rain, snow, and sleet tonight, low 32. Tomorrow, some snow showers and regular showers tomorrow high 53 right now it's 33 at wnbf WNBF wnbf.com if you're looking for a car miller motor team is there the miller auto team directly across from binghamton university on the parkway in vestal if you're in the market for a new hyundai a new honda or perhaps late model used vehicle you can stop by miller motors 4455 vestal parkway east they can explain the options. If you need a car that is dependable, a car that's not going to be in the shop, you know what that's like. Ooh, a car in the shop. No, you don't want your car in the shop. You want your car on the road ready 
24-7. Get a car you can depend on for the rest of winter into spring and then for happy motoring in the summer for all your adventures. The Miller Auto Team on the Parkway. Stop in. Ask of what they have. New Hondas coming in, new Hyundais. And check out the used vehicle inventory at MillerAutoTeam.com. Miller Motors, they're there to serve you. We all. WNBF Binghamton. School information live at WNBF. Union Endicott schools will have a two hour early release schedule. So kids should arrive home about two hours early today. Here are your official early dismissal times for UE. Jenny F. Snap, 1210. Angie McGinnis, 1225. Charles F. Johnson, 1255. The High School, 110. George F. Johnson, 125. Thomas J. Watson, 120. Tiger Ventures, 155. Linnaeus W. West, Boses. 1225. We go Appalachian dismissing elementary school students right now. Middle school students and high school students at 1215. Schneigo Forks middle school and high school students will be dismissed at 1130. Elementary school students 1230. Windsor dismissing middle school students at 1120. High school students at 1130. Elementary school students at 1230. And in Johnson City early UPK We'll dismiss at noon the high school at 12.20, the middle school at 12.50, and the elementary school at 1.25. Those are early dismissals from various schools in Broome and Tioga counties. A winter weather advisory will be in effect until 10 o'clock tonight, according to the National Weather Service. WNBF News Time, 11.02 brand new year and our business is busier than ever. Uma. What is that? Meditation? I'm recommending the Uma cloud phone system with auto attendant and more than 35 features. Uma? Yep. Switching to Uma is a cinch. Starts at $19.95 per month per user plus taxes and fees. Uma. Now you're feeling it. Visit Uma.com. That's O-O-M-A dot com to learn more. Uma. Smart communications for the smarter business. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Wednesday, February 22nd. You're listening to WNBF. The city of Binghamton is moving forward with its effort to gain control of the Binghamton Plaza site. Mayor Jared Cram last summer announced plans to use eminent domain to seize the plaza property on West State Street on the city's north side. He noted the owners of the six-decade-old retail complex owed hundreds of dollars in back taxes. A public hearing on the eminent domain procedure was held at Binghamton City Hall Tuesday afternoon. Mark McNamara, an attorney representing the plaza's New Jersey owners, said the overdue tax bill now has been paid. McNamara said the owners are in the final stages of negotiating with an unnamed developer on a plan to provide low-income housing and services for veterans. McNamara noted the city stands to lose sales and property tax revenues if it proceeds with plans to demolish the plaza buildings and provide recreational facilities on the site. He said city officials have not offered any specific plans for redeveloping the property. At the beginning of the hearing, Mayor Cram said despite a riverfront site at the confluence of three major interstates with major economic development incentives, owner has failed at rejuvenating the Binghamton Plaza. Cram said the residents of one of the poorest neighborhoods in our community deserve better. 
The mayor said the city must improve this property for the public good, expand green space, open public access to our riverwalk and waterfront, and allow for badly needed redevelopment along the West State Street corridor. People who operate businesses in the Binghamton Plaza spoke against the eminent domain proposal at the public hearing. They said the move would cause significant problems for the people who use their services. The place that was home to a Johnson City fraternal organization for more than eight decades is being demolished by Binghamton University. A building at 22 Lewis Street stood in the way of the university's plans to establish a buffer zone near its health sciences campus. Gorick construction workers expect the project to tear down the building will be completed by the end of the week. Johnson City Unity Lodge Number 970 sold the property to the Binghamton University Foundation last October for $390,000. The university has plans to develop a park between its facilities on Corliss Avenue and the Main Street Business District. Most of the existing buildings that had been on Lewis Street were acquired for demolition for the Green Space Project. After the old lodge is torn down, the only remaining structure on the street will be a three-story apartment house at 26 Lewis Street. The university has wanted to acquire that building to clear the way for the planned park, but the owner won't sell. A person familiar with the owner's position Tuesday said the owner is not interested in selling it. He said the owner loves the people who lives there and wants them to be able to remain in the building. In Broome County Court, just prior to jury selection, Alan Holmes, age 45 of Binghamton, entered a plea of guilty to felony criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree. On June 7, 2021, the Broome County Special Investigations Unit Task Force was conducting a narcotics investigation. A motor vehicle stop was conducted in the vicinity of Baldwin Street in the village of Johnson City. Holmes, who was a passenger in the vehicle, was found in possession of a quantity of fentanyl. Holmes, on parole for a 2019 narcotics conviction, will be sentenced to five years in New York State prison plus two years post-release supervision on May 17th. Holmes also waived his right to appeal. Michael A. Korchak, Broome County District Attorney, said fentanyl is a major problem, killing residents of New York State in unprecedented numbers. We call on the New York State Legislature to increase the penalties for those who sell fentanyl. Kevin Walker, age 32 of Elmira, New York, pled guilty to possession with intent to distribute a controlled substance. As part of his guilty plea, Walker admitted that on February 12, 2022, he drove a rental vehicle from his residence in Elmira to Cortland, New York. He intended to meet another individual in the parking lot of a Cortland business to sell that individual 447 grams of pure methamphetamine, which Walker had in the trunk of the vehicle. Walker further admitted that he also possessed 137 grams of cocaine in the vehicle. At sentencing, scheduled for June 21st, Walker faces at least 10 years and up to life in federal prison, a maximum fine of $10 million, and a term of post-imprisonment supervised release of at least five years and up to life. A jury is hearing testimony from a former high-ranking Proud Boys member who pleaded guilty to plotting with group leaders to violently stop the transfer of presidential power from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. Jeremy Bertino told jurors on Tuesday that he viewed their far-right extremist organization as the tip of the spear after the 2020 election. Bertino is testifying against former Proud Boys national leader Enrique Tarrio and four lieutenants as part of a cooperation deal with federal prosecutors. Bertino is the only group member who has pleaded guilty to a seditious conspiracy charge stemming from a mob's attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. The five defendants on trial are charged with the same offense. President Joe Biden in Poland, after his lightning trip to Ukraine, has declared that there are hard and bitter days ahead in fighting off Russia's invasion. But he pledged on Tuesday that the United States and its allies will never waver in their support as the war enters its second year. A day after his surprise trip to Kiev, Biden gave a major speech in Warsaw and met with the presidents of Poland and Moldova. 
This trip is aimed at solidifying Western unity as Ukraine and Russia are preparing spring offensives. The conflict has left tens of thousands of people dead, devastated Ukraine's infrastructure system, and wreaked havoc on the global economy. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency ordered Norfolk Southern on Tuesday to pay for the cleanup of East Palestine, Ohio train wrecks and chemical release as federal regulators took charge of long-term recovery efforts and promised worried residents they wouldn't be forgotten. Using its authority under the federal Superfund law, EPA told Norfolk Southern to take all available measures to clean up contaminated air and water. The EPA warned Norfolk Southern that if it failed to comply with its order, the agency would perform the work itself and seek triple damages from the company. Norfolk Southern CEO promised the company would do whatever is necessary to ensure the long-term health of the community and become a safer railroad. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, snow before 5 p.m., then snow and sleet. The snow could be heavy at times, a high near 36 degrees, 100% chance of snow. Could see about 2 inches of snow and sleet on the ground in some areas today. Tonight, rain, snow, and sleet becoming all rain after 2 a.m. The snow could be heavy at times, a low near 33 degrees, 80% chance of rain. Tomorrow, a slight chance of showers before 10 a.m., then a slight chance of showers after 3 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 55 degrees, a 20% chance of rain. Tomorrow night, chance of rain showers before 4 a.m., then a slight chance of snow showers. Mostly cloudy with a low near 22 degrees. Wind gusts as high as 36 miles per hour, a 40% chance of rain. And Friday, a slight chance of snow showers before 1 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 29 degrees. Wind gusts as high as 37 miles per hour, 20% chance of snow. Friday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 13 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Bob Joseph live, taking your calls right now at 607-772-1290. If you have something to say, give me a call and talk on WNBF. think well let me know if you think you have the answers call in give us an answer or if you just have questions by all means by all means feel free to share your thoughts our number is 607-772-1290 you can also send an email to bob at wnbf.com we're here for you until noon and coming up in probably 20 minutes or so, we'll talk with WNBF's Roger Neal from Burlington with a preview of tonight's men's Bearcats basketball game, which you'll hear on News Radio WNBF. Okay.
across the country. People are listening to News Radio WNBF using the free WNBF app. Why do they listen? Because they want something that's crisp, refreshing, and compelling. And with zero calories. Listen to Bob Joseph every weekday morning from 9 to noon Eastern on WNBF. Sometimes you're better off dead. There's a gun in your hand that's pointing at your head. You think you're mad, too unstable. Kicking in chairs and knocking down tables in a restaurant in a West End town. Call the police, there's a madman around. Running down underground to a dive bar in a West End town. In a West End town, a dead end world. The East End boys and West End And a lovely day if you like the return of winter weather you're uh, going to really enjoy today <laughs> as for me i'm counting down the days until spring i want spring 26 days yesterday was weird today i don't think it's going to be so weird i think today is kind of predictable but what i thought was interesting as I emerged from City Hall around, oh, I don't know, 3.15 yesterday afternoon, I'm thinking, wait a second. I can't walk one block from City Hall to the WNBF Tower in these conditions. So I decided, no, I guess I'll wait because the thing was, the weather was changing just rapidly. Everything seemed fine when I went in to City Hall just before 2 o'clock. You know, there had been some rain, but it had stopped, and there were little openings of blue sky. So after an hour and 15 minutes, things had changed drastically. And so I decided, oh, I'll just stand there near City Hall on Holly Street and just take video because it was so... Oh, look, there's an ambulance going on. Because it was just so bizarre. Because it was changing fast. And I don't know if it's... um, must have been a front. It's one of those fronts that was coming through. And so you've got wind whipping up and thunder. And it's just... Hear that? That was thunder. So I'm walking in, in the... Whatever, frozen precipitation. I guess Howard said it wasn't sleet, it was grapple. It's fallen all over. So anyway, at least the way I figure it, when life hands you lemonade, you just make lemons. And so I did the uh, little video, a couple of videos anyway, because it was kind of compelling. It's not just your standard snow, it was your standard grapple. And if that's grapple... I don't want to be right. I mean, that, that stuff, the way it was uh, coming in, whipped by the wind, I thought, ah, who needs this grapple? Who needs it? Anyway, spring will be here in 26 days, so don't worry about a thing. In the meantime, though, we do have a winter 
weather advisory in effect till 10 o'clock tonight. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? John. I'm calling from Broome County, New York, county seat of Binghamton. Well, you must be one proud person, Johnny. Well, you know, uh, Crooked Hillary, how about Crazy Cram? Uh, did you see the um, the coverage? The the city did stream the eminent domain uh, hearing yesterday afternoon. Did you view it on uh, online? Uh, not yet, but I'll tell you this: What kind of city has a two o'clock in the afternoon public hearing? This is a one of his great accomplishments. This is uh, public hearings uh, during the business day. Yeah, we used to note that some other municipalities around here would hold meetings or public hearings at 4 or 5 p.m., and many people would say, gee, that's almost as though they don't want the public to participate. But when you hold a, certainly when you hold a public hearing at 2 in the afternoon, um, for many people who are gainfully employed, there's, there's no easy way for them to get there. Well, that's true, and you mentioned the meeting on YouTube. I would invite people to look at the Scranton City Council meetings and see how professional and well-lit and uh, with the two cameras rather than this silly, stupid security camera uh, that covers uh, the footage that covers the Binghamton. Yeah, I I, I talked with the person who was setting that up yesterday, and I asked the person, who do you work for? There's this longest pause. And... I thought, well, do you work for the city clerk's office? The person said, down there. So I think he meant, I think he was gesturing toward the city clerk's office, but but the person didn't identify immediately who he was working. I was just curious because, you know, you know me. I had The, the meeting wasn't going to start for about five minutes, so I always try to ingratiate myself with with those who are around or at least chat and give words of encouragement but um yeah he, well, he didn't he didn't identify who he worked for just down there so yeah i would have go- i would have gone but i was in working in mohawk valley there so i didn't uh, didn't uh, get away soon enough uh uh speaking of what the residents of the north side deserve and what they don't deserve did the re- and you know this this pronouncement of failure uh, by uh, this baby boy Cram, uh, who grew up with a political silver spoon in his mouth. Uh, you know, these people that have been making a living there since the inception of the plaza, and uh, I know this is hard for Jerry Cram to understand that people actually absorb their own overhead and go to work on a speculation that business will walk in uh, to their door and eke out a living. Uh, This is probably anathema to him. But did the residents of the North Side, did they deserve a CVS? Uh, Did they deserve... Uh, a break today at McDonald's? Uh, Did they deserve the world's best chili at the Speedy Place? 
I would say they did. And those three payrolls combined is a couple of million dollars. Now, let me also state this, that the Binghamton Plaza served as an incubator of sorts where people in the dark days of that plaza started businesses and then moved to uh, another location. Uh, The city cannot afford to maintain another park. It cannot afford to police another park, especially in that neighborhood. Uh, Let me state this, that the R-Space playground burned to the ground, even though the mayor assured us that evening that the police were going to be watching and be on guard that evening. Uh, Another crime spot, another spot for crime incubation rather than business incubation is not what the city needs. Uh, Very easily, you could reconfigure the Binghamton Plaza Uh, to have entrances uh, to the walkway that's behind that plaza. You could put awnings on it. Uh, Strip plazas worse than that have been turned around. Uh, You need an aesthetic eye and an idea of uh, how much the butcher, baker, and candlestick maker can pay to rent those spaces. So, uh, you know, uh, Cram is out of touch uh, he, uh, you know, I mean, it is absolutely absurd. And once you add park space, once you add green space, you can't just sell it. You have to replace it. So, uh, with other park space. So I don't know where he thinks the development, uh, he, he thinks people are going to walk across West State Street, uh, to, lounge uh, at the river, and then what? And then what? We don't need more walkways. I might add that when you come into the city now, if you look at the period lighting, uh, three on the right side are out. Uh, a One on the left side is out. These are brand new. I might add here that on Front Street, a period light pole was demolished. When is that going to be replaced? Drive up Main Street, drive up Seminary Avenue, drive anywhere you want. All you will see is roads that need to be maintained and done over with. So if there's anybody that has been negligent for the last 50 years, uh, it is the city itself. Uh, to point of now, we have got a hundred thousand plus in legal fees so far on this escapade by one of the largest law firms upstate. He literally gave them a blank check. He was sold first a pig in a poke. Now that he's finally found an idea to go with the eminent domain, first he just wanted eminent domain on the uh, grounds of they weren't paying their taxes. Uh, You know, the county is supposed to handle all foreclosures. This was part of the deal when the municipality signed over their tax collection to the county. Uh, The city is not supposed to have any inventory of property uh, thing. Uh, He better, you know, uh, Jeff Cram better look at Court Street. uh, You mean Jared Cram? Jared. Jared Cram, yeah. 
he he better look at Court Street. Well, what Court about Street. Clinton Street? Uh, at Clinton Street, yeah. Yeah, Court, all- Clinton. I mean, there are a lot of streets. If I don't know how many streets there now are in Binghamton, but um, in my estimation, I don't want to detract from what you were about to say. My estimation, there must be hundreds of other streets in Binghamton that are in desperate need of the city's attention. And and I, I'm surprised that there isn't more activity in some of these other neighborhoods that, I mean, not activity per se, but the city's, um, you, you would think the city would shine a, a very bright spotlight on a few other major problem spots that I think are, are, are probably uh, in need of uh, more prompt attention than what's going on now at Binghamton Plaza. The one thing that what I found instructive when I went over there about a week ago after it was called to my attention that the eminent domain proceeding was going to be held on Tuesday is I was shown around the plaza um, and I, I learned more about the businesses that are there and there are several businesses and ultimately dozens of people are working, maybe not seven days a week, but they're working throughout the week for various businesses, the the leather and shoe repair business, the husband and wife have been there for more than a half century, the pizza place, New York Pizza has been there for decades, uh, a couple of newer businesses have been set up, hey, they're they're Nobody will mistake those businesses for, for Boscovs or for a house of sport, but they're keeping people gainfully employed, and they're also providing goods and services to people in that neighborhood who, in many cases, don't have a car. They don't have easy transportation to um, supermarkets or other places to get stuff they need. They have the the flea markets. I know some people say, ew, flea markets. Well, they're... I went through a couple of those places, and there are just hundreds, if not thousands, of items. And every weekend, people go there to sell their stuff, and lots of people are buying stuff there every weekend. And then there's the daycare center, and the woman who uh, runs the daycare center expressed concern, both during the hearing and, and to me, not just for herself and for her employees, but for, I believe, 50 or 55 children who utilize that daycare center and their parents. Look, they they work and, and have things to do during the day, and that's a convenient location for many parents who live nearby at town and country apartments and elsewhere on the north side. And those businesses are not getting any taxpayer subsidies. They're not getting government grants. They're not getting payments in lieu of taxes. Uh, and you know... That is an incubator, Bob. This is the point. You know, if this city is going to be business-friendly, then it must have the locations to uh, put forth potential businesses. If you look at, I mean, you know, whether it's Dick's Sporting Goods or whatever, if you look at the humble origins of where businesses started, their first locations, uh, they looked very much like uh, the Binghamton Plaza looks now. Uh, you know, I and and to jerk people around, not only the local people, but people with means uh, like the Glassies, uh, I think sends a terrible, terrible message uh, to uh, anyone that is wants to start a small business. 
it says, you know, you're you're not welcome in uh, our city. So this spoiled kid, and that's what he is, he's a spoiled brat who came here from, uh, didn't have a job until he got a job with the city, came here from Hillcrest, uh, has nothing to offer anybody at all except uh, this uh, generational uh, fixation on the fact that it's different. He doesn't know how to plug in a light bulb. Uh, he's, uh, I believe, the third mayor in a row who has no children at the present time, uh, yet is peddling this idea that Binghamton is a great place to raise a family. Uh, look, we've seen that area called, remember when it was called a food desert? Well, it's going to turn into a total business desert if this mayor has his way at hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of taxpayer expense. What he should be doing is directing some of that American Rescue Plan funds to the existing businesses there. Well, can, to that point, I mean, with the millions of dollars, and I don't know if the total is $10 million or more that's been provided to the people doing the work at Oakdale Commons, can you imagine if three or four or five million dollars had been provided to the people who operate Binghamton Plaza to try to make renovations for the buildings that are in sound shape and also tear down the portions of the plaza that aren't worth saving? I mean, they, they have talked about a plan, whether people like the plan or whether people think that uh, much progress has been made. You know, it's it's interesting how government officials do so help select winners around here. If if you're if if you're a friend of the elected officials, you're going to be considered for all sorts of special benefits. If you're not a friend, well, you're on your own, and good luck. One of the things that uh, has been pointed out to me by the property manager when I've talked to him a few times lately, uh, he has said that. Jared Cram, the mayor, hasn't actually been in touch with him to get a tour, say, of the old Kmart building or the part of the plaza where Kmart was and the uh, the office, the old executive office uh, building on the north side of the plaza. It needs roof work, to be sure. It needs a new roof, but there are there must be 45 or 50 offices available in that space that without a whole lot of work, could be repurposed, and whether for offices or other uses. But according to the property manager, the mayor hasn't been inside. As far as I know, the mayor has only been at Binghamton Plaza last July to hold his news conference, and he he didn't even alert the uh, owners or any of the tenants at the Binghamton Plaza he was going to do that. Well, look, uh, I don't know what his sappy fantasy is, uh, and maybe he envisioned somebody with an admiral's cap uh, 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 cruising around in a crisscraft in, in the uh, the Shenango River. I, I don't know. All I know is this: uh, that area has suffered enough, and businesses have been driven out. If uh, and and where, by the way, are the progressives? You know, both Jason Garner. Leah Webb, now State Senator Leah Webb, represented that area. 
where are they standing up for the people, standing up for the businesses, standing up for economic activity? I think, uh, you know, uh, this Leah Webb, uh, she's a state senator with the majority uh, of the Senate behind her. Where is she there? Yeah, good questions. To be continued, thank you, John. Appreciate the views. 11.35, more coming up. Bob Joseph live on WNBF. WNBF.com. It is now my honor and privilege to introduce Roger W. Neal live from <laughs> hey, Burlington, from Vermont. Of, there you go, on the shores of Lake Champlain. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm doing well. How are things? Hey, excellent. We had uh, the WNBF mobile app on, as uh, so many people do, and I heard your interview with Evan a little while ago. Tremendous. And I uh, hope his book is a big success. I think it will be. A lot of people yeah. are talking about it, and it was great to hear a bit of the background, how um, you know, how he grew up in New York City and ultimately um, first was thinking about going to school in Syracuse, opted for Binghamton, and he said he's glad he chose Binghamton, and then uh, started working and became editor-in-chief at Pipe Dream, the student newspaper, worked for a few years for the Present Sun Bulletin, sure, and... Sure. Uh, as you know, he, he helped cover the, the Bearcats, the men's and women's basketball teams, as well as high school sports, uh, the B-Mets. Yep. And so that gave him a good foundation for where he is now at The Athletic. He's a senior writer with The Athletic website. Yeah, I remember him well, yes. Hey, we're, uh, we're uh, with you this morning from a Patrick Gymnasium. You can hear in the background uh, the Bearcats working out. They'll have... Uh, about an hour or so practice this morning into early afternoon getting ready for tonight's game. And we're looking forward to that uh, as much as you can look forward to playing at Vermont because they are having another tremendous season. And the Bearcats hope they can put a crimp in that tonight right here at 7 o'clock. It's, um, Bob, a really a, uh, a BU-Vermont doubleheader as the men are here uh, in Burlington and the women are playing at home at the event center against Vermont. And no easy test either way. How about this for a team that has dominated America East? The Vermont Catamounts men have won now seven consecutive regular season championships in America East. They've clinched a minimum co-championship in the regular season. They've got a couple of games to go after this. And so one more win uh, against whoever that may be would then give them the outright title. So they... They continue to roll. They're 11-2, and two, number one in the conference. And, of course, the women have no easy test either. It must be something in the, uh, in the pure water around Burlington. I don't know, because the women's team is having a tremendous season also. They've now won 12 games in a row, and they are 12-2, and two, and they're in second place in America East. So no easy test for either team tonight, but uh, we'll go at it. See if the Bearcats can pull home a road win. And, of course, at the event center, 
hopefully a home court victory for BU. You know, we're not far away now from the playoffs. Uh, this game is the last road game for the men in regular season play. The women have tonight's game and then one more on the road up in Maine on Saturday. And then it is playoff time. Things are still up in the air. Uh, Binghamton is trying to secure in the men's side a, a fourth or higher position. Anybody who finishes top four gets a minimum one home game, quarterfinal home game. And uh, the Bearcats are hopeful of that. Uh, for the women, they're in sixth place, so they'll be traveling for their first playoff game coming up next Wednesday. They don't know who they will play yet. It could be Maine, a team that they wrap up the regular season with, or it could be UMBC. That'll be decided this weekend. But down to one more game after this one for the women and down to two more games for the men after this one tonight. So the season is, uh, is wrapping up in exciting fashion, and uh, it's great to have some of these key games come up this late in the season, Bob, because it's been a while since we've had these types of contests that really are very meaningful in the last week of the year. Well, I know I'll be uh, tuning in. I'm not sure if I can listen to the whole thing, but I certainly will be listening to ample portions of your coverage tonight. We appreciate that. Of course, uh, on the women's side, uh, KISS 1041, Jacob Wilkins will have the call. He'll start off with Coach Beth Anchikero Ward giving a pregame analysis of what's ahead, and that'll be at 645 on KISS. And then, of course, here on WNDF 645, we'll talk with Bearcats head coach Lavelle Sanders about uh, the Bearcats' position in the standings, what it means for uh, a battle against Vermont here tonight, and hopefully a Bearcat victory. So we're looking forward to it, and uh, we'll see what the Bearcats can cook up both home and away tonight. Roger Neal, always a pleasure. Join us live right now in Vermont. Thank you so much. Hope you have a great day, and we'll be listening for your coverage this evening on WNBF. Bob, thank you very much. You can hear it. We're can't get much closer to the action than this. We're about 10 feet away from the uh, end line where the Bearcats are shooting some buckets and getting ready for tonight. So we're right on the scene and looking forward to America East action this evening. And you heard it live here at News Radio WNBF, serving you every day, 921 FM, 1290 AM, and always available to you on the free WNBF app. Coming up, more of your calls at 607-772-1290. Bob Joseph on WNBF. Individual Radio. News Live on a Wednesday morning. WNBF. Martin in Binghamton, you're on the air. Yeah, I have that great album from Sly. Uh, Josh Powell can't, uh, Holly can't run fast enough to wear out his sneaks. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I can't believe I'm listening. Maybe I I missed it on Friday, but the huge story about uh, Fox News. And all them, the pundits knowing that um, that they were lying, you know, and behind the scenes calling um, Rudy nuts and the stories nuts and Sidney Powell's nuts. 
and um, for for ratings. And you know, Tucker Carlson stating that we're getting creamed here by Newsmax. Don't they realize we're losing our stock price? You know, is going down, um, and just the lies that they knew, which continued on and continued on because they were Newsmax shot up uh, tenfold, ten a hundred a thousand percent. After that, they they lost viewership. They were saying, "Well, I guess the the viewership doesn't want to hear about that." So they go back to spewing the big lie, which percolated everything that led to uh, January sixth. Um, it's, it's just just bizarre. I mean, that of course I'm not going to hear it much from this audience a lot. No, uh, I'm surprised you even bring it up. It's it's lucky I don't get canceled when people call in with talk like this this is you know i'm on i'm on thin ice allowing this topic well you know um you know and then yesterday something about sydney powell i don't know if you're seeing that she talked about where she's getting her sources from um the wind and that she claims herself to be a ghost i mean even colbert had a lot on that last well, maybe she'll set up a club at some school in endwell then um so another story that I think is uh, very interesting that hasn't received much coverage. So uh, Tucker the Carlson, Tucker the Carlson, Tucker Carlson is his uh, air name on Fox News. They gave him access to 40,000 hours of secret surveillance footage from the insurrection yeah. down at the Capitol. How come nobody talks about that? Tucker Carlson has no right to that footage. He has as much right to that secret security footage as I do. Yeah, that just came out yesterday, Bob. I saw that. They're they're putting that together. They're going to um, make a little kind of documentary about that. They're going to just keep throwing it out there in bits and pieces to get more uh, but out who of gave where where is it said in law that Tucker Carlson gets access to confidential footage at the Capitol for the insurrection why why does Tucker Carlson get it and not someone of my caliber at least I have some journalistic credentials compared to him yeah that's true <laughs> but I don't know Bob um you know how, how he got that. You know, but um, I, I guess he got it from Kevin McCarthy. Apparently, uh, Kevin McCarthy yeah. uh, gave the go-ahead for uh, Tucker Carlson to review. Not just Tucker Carlson, because one Tucker alone can't review forty thousand hours worth of so- stuff. But Tucker's team gets to review more than forty hours, forty thousand hours of top secret material. And I don't know what about Sean Hannity. What about Judge Janine? What about Rudy? What about the other people at Fox? Why is Tucker Carlson so special? Well, you know, they they watch him over in Russia. They show him. They like um, him. They show clips. They show highlight yeah. clips of Tucker Carlson on the uh, Russian propaganda channels. Yes, yes. And also to change uh, channels here for a minute, and did you happen to see, or maybe you'll catch up to um, this four-part documentary series about Rudy Giuliani on MSNBC, When Truth Isn't Truth? No, I didn't even know about it. I don't watch MSNBC very much. They have yeah, a documentary well, about Giuliani? Yes, yes. And, and, and the uncanny part about it is really, I, 
I was watching it Sunday night, and it starts out, and it, it, they're talking about Rudy and and his son, and then it pans, and it looks like, oh, that bandstand looks familiar. And next thing you know, it's Recreation Park. On the west side. I was almost there. I I would have been there, except they changed the time. They They had it originally set, I think, for 11 in the morning, and I went over there. And some cops came over there, too, the Binghamton police. Somebody had tipped him off that Rudy Giuliani was going to be there. So, of course, the cops wanted to be there in case he caused trouble. So uh, I was there. I was the only reporter. And then two or three cops, a couple of patrol officers and marked units, and then a supervisor. And we were, like, saying, well, where is he? And then I got a call. Or, no, I after waiting five minutes... It was after 11 o'clock then. Then I called Rudy Giuliani's uh, um, person. I asked her, I said, hey, we're here at the park. We're at Rec Park. Where, where is uh, America's mayor? And she said, oh, didn't you hear we changed it to 1.30? And she said something to me, hope you can make it. And I said something to her along the lines, I don't think I'll be able to make it because I just blew at least 30 minutes of my day. You know, my day, my time is valuable. I... I have to be writing content for our website. I don't have time to blow 30 or 40 minutes on somebody who doesn't show up when he said, but otherwise I would have been there. But instead, instead he he changed, he he showed up two and a half hours later than he originally planned, and so I missed it. So I could have been in that documentary. Yeah, well, he he showed up and it was his son was running for governor then. Oh yeah, Andrew. We've talked to Andrew on on the phone. Andrew seems. Yeah. I, I don't know much about Andrew's positions, but I'll say this: he definitely seems to be uh, more grounded than his dad these days. But hey, I'm out of time. I appreciate your call. Yeah, Thanks for letting me know about that documentary. I'll try to watch yeah, check it. Check that out. Bob, I will because you know Rudy's. Rudy starts talking about that. He likes Binghamton. I know he does. He even likes Endicott. It pans the park, Bob. It goes around. <laughs> it, it shows the recreation park. It shows the carousel. Okay. Um, then it goes back, talks to Rudy. Then it goes back, and it pans the park again. Just beautiful color, beautiful summer day. All right. I'm sorry I missed it. That's all the time we have. Bob Joseph, back tomorrow, right here on WNBF. Your WNBF, Binghamton.